Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and the podcast is presented by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, and I have their director here, Lisa Holscher. And Lisa, this is the first podcast that we're doing. Let's just talk a little bit about why we wanted to do it and what information we're trying to get out there to folks. Thank you, Eric. And this is exciting. It really is. So CCSI, or the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, has a mission of improving soil health on Indiana cropland. We do that a lot through outreach, education, training, and these podcasts provide a great opportunity to reach a much wider audience and to just provide good information on soil health practices and other concerns for farmers and landowners and others who might be looking into adopting a practice or system on their own properties. So Lisa, let's take a moment here to talk about some of the topics that we're going to cover in this monthly podcast and more importantly, the experts that you're bringing in to discuss them. Well, the way we've designed these podcasts is to select a number of topics, one a month throughout the year, and to try to target them to things we expect to be very topical. For example, in November, we know that a lot of farmers are looking at December 1st for that lease renewal. So we'll have a couple of folks online talking about you know, some of the issues that farmers face when they're trying to adopt conservation practices practices so we can help educate those landowners. Linda Procopy with Purdue University is going to be online with that. And then we'll have a couple of folks from some organizations that work with landowners on some of those leases. Um, we have people like Dr. Jerry Hatfield from the Ag Research Services, who has already agreed to talk with us about oh, the extreme weather. We have a couple of folks in the fall talking about fall emerged weeds like mare's tail and how to deal with them. And what we're trying to do in many cases is to pair a farmer, somebody who's been there and done that and has the experience with somebody who is a professional, perhaps as a CCA, as a conservation staff or a researcher. In the case of this Mare's Tale podcast, we have Betsy Bauer of Series Solutions and a farmer named Mike Brocksmith out of southwestern Indiana. You'll see this theme throughout the year where, again, we're pairing a farmer with an expert. And that really gets to our method of outreach and education where we are focusing on farmer-proven, scientifically-based practices and providing solid information to people who are interested in those practices. So, Lisa, let's go ahead and introduce this month's topic and who we've got on board. This month is going to be great. We have Jamie Scott. He is a farmer out of Kosciuszko County and has been no-tilling, using cover crops for years. In fact, Jamie is responsible for coordinating aerial seeding of cover crops for, I want to say, 100,000 acres every year, something like that. With him is Susanna Hines, and she is the NRCS, Natural Resources Conservation Services, grazing specialist out of the Northwest area. They're going to be talking about 
the advantages of seeding cover crops after an early harvested crop like wheat or silage and how you can really do a lot to not only feed the soil, but also provide opportunities for grazing livestock. And I believe they're going to talk a little bit about how you should be planning those mixes so that they're balanced, not only for the livestock you might be grazing, but for the soil biology, so you get the most out of it. Thank you, Lisa. And I am now joined by Jamie Scott, who, in addition to being a Kosciuszko County farmer, is the president of the Indiana Association of Soil and Water Conservation Districts, and Susanna Hines. And uh, thank you both for joining us here on our first podcast here. Jamie, let's start with you. If you could just give me a a little bit of a background on you and talk about your farm operation. Yeah, so I farm uh, full-time here at Pearson, Indiana, and uh, we uh, are a corn, bean, wheat rotation, uh, 100% no-till, 100% cover crops, and um, also uh, work with a number of growers on trying to get cover crops on their farm uh, as well as our own. And Susanna, a little bit about you. How long have you been with USDA's NRCS, and uh, what are some of your primary responsibilities there? I've worked with the Natural Resources Conservation Service now for 22 years. I actually started in Northwest Colorado, and I have a a degree in range management from the University of Idaho. So my background is is very strong in the grazing grazing realms. Then here in Indiana, I work predominantly with our grazing producers in the northwest part of the state, helping them resolve any potential issues or troubles that they may have on their farms. Very good. Jamie, let's come back to what you were talking a little bit about there with with trying to help other farmers uh, understand cover crops a bit better. You mentioned you're 100% cover crops right now on, on your farm. What were some of the things that you needed to weigh when you were starting this whole thing up and, and decided that you wanted to grow cover crops on your farm? Yeah, so some of the biggest things of why we started cover crops was, of course, soil erosion and and uh, holding nutrients and stuff on the farm. But, but like every other farmer that I work with was how do we go about doing that? And, you know, how do we get everything seeded? And, and uh, so that's probably one of the biggest things is how do we get acres covered? Uh, then normally what do we use after that? Um, unfortunately, we kind of been a generation or two without cover crops, so we've got a lot of relearning to do, uh, and that's normally where I come in is to help take out some of the negatives or some of the problems that could occur and uh, make it a more positive experience for everyone, of, of which at the end of the day it should be. And, uh, you know, and then again now probably one of the biggest things is economically, you know, how do we get a return on investment? Uh, and, uh, you know, the climate that we're in in agriculture. What are some of those problems that you talk about that, that some of them are trying to weigh in their operation, other than the economics that you just mentioned? Yeah, so some of the problems that, that uh, farmers run up against is uh, it's a change on their farm of maybe how they were doing things before as far as timing of, of a burn down uh, versus just going out and maybe working a field or just no-tilling a field. And um, so... That takes time. Uh, you know, it's no different than when are we going to plant corn next year. You know, we don't know that yet. We adapt uh, because we've done it for so long, and the longer guys are in cover crops, they're they're learning to adapt and what to do. So that, that's one of the main things is, is how do they manage that cover crop. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, how to get it established in there. Um, and that's where something like wheat, especially crop, comes into play. It makes it a lot nicer uh, to, to get different species and, and more cover crops on the farm and, 
and take away some of the seating window that is needed in the fall time for everyone. You're listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, presented by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, CCSI, and I'm joined by Jamie Scott, Kosciuszko County farmer and also Susanna Hines, the USDA NRCS Indiana Grazing Specialist. So one of the easiest ways to step into using cover crops is to seed after wheat or silage harvest. Uh, why is that the case as opposed to, to corn and beans? Well, the wheat gives us a better window to utilize more cover crops and get more growth out of them before our killing frost, uh, especially as you get into northern Indiana, um, you know, southern Michigan and then farther north you go. Uh, we just have limited time from fall and, and until that winter approaches. So uh, after wheat gives us a lot better window to utilize more things and, and get more out of it, uh, it, which is a nice way for everyone to start. Susanna, if you could kind of touch on how grazing livestock fits into this plan to improve soil health and start with cover crops. Absolutely. So some of our our basic principles of improving soil health on any given any given acre really is to minimize disturbance, maximize the cover, maximize the biodiversity, and just provide that continuous living root. And bringing livestock into the operation really enhances all all of those. So bringing livestock into the farm would really add the biodiversity. And the angle that we would take on that is it really we have historically planted cover crops to add additional root mass and root structure into the soil. By adding the livestock, we also add that microbial angle. So that that gut component of our ruminant systems is really going to add the microbial factor back into the soil and really just enhance that level of biodiversity into the system. Jamie, do you currently graze your farm? No, we currently do not. Uh, we've had a long history of livestock. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, chicken, hogs, cattle, uh, even sheep over the years. Uh, currently, we were without livestock on the farm, but something we're looking very hard at bringing back. And, um, you know, it's just uh, that biodiversity uh, is really nice to have. And uh, so we're we're looking at bringing them back. Just currently have been without, and part of the reason is we've removed uh, too many fences and and don't have the ability to graze as easy. That's Kosciuszko County farmer Jamie Scott, who also serves as the president of the Indiana Association of Soil and Water Conservation Districts. I'm also joined by Susanna Hines here on the Hat Soil Health Podcast. Presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative of Indiana, CCSI. So, Susanna, what are some of the planning considerations when when doing this? Uh, maybe in like Jamie's case here, where he's looking to bring uh, livestock back in and, and start grazing. What are some of the planning considerations for that? Yes, and every cropland acre in Indiana would really benefit from having livestock added back into the system. But just as Jamie said, with the removal of fences across the state, it just isn't practical anymore without a lot of infrastructure investment. So we really need to be almost prescriptive in how we plan to use the covers in our grazing system. So one of the things that we would want to think about is let's plan those covers near our existing pastures. 
So maybe it'd be easy to just open a gate and be able to rotate them back out into the cropland and be able to utilize those covers as forages. Maybe plant them near a winter feeding area. So as the, the season progresses and we either run out of forage of those covers or the, the soil conditions start to deteriorate, maybe get too wet, um, we can bring them out of those cropland fields and put them into a feeding area. Another very important consideration is we need to have water, especially for our summer mixes. So we would be providing late summer and early fall grazing. We recommend that we would have 30 gallons per animal unit per day available for the livestock. So if we were asking someone to haul water, that's going to be a big, a big investment in their time. So we would really want to plan those cover crop areas to be used for forage near where we have an available water source. Susanna, if you could kind of talk about some of the uh, general cover crop mix considerations, uh, how important is it to provide a balanced mix when you're planning that as well? Planning these summer grazing mixes really gives us the opportunity to expand on that biodiversity and that continuous living root component of our soil health principles. We, can, we really have a lot more opportunities and a lot more species that we would be able to implement into the system. We could use summer type warm season grasses and warm season broadleaf we would be able to incorporate sorghum sedan grass, millets, even sunflowers, turnips. We just have a lot more options to be able to plan in those summer type opportunities. And so many of them, when we, when we plant a diverse mix, we're also planting a diverse buffet for the livestock available to them too. So they're going to benefit from a health-wise angle from having those more diverse species than just grazing on a single species. That, that diverse mix really helps just like us not eating lettuce or steak every meal. You know, it's the, it's the same for that livestock as it is for us. And so it's soil health, animal health, everything in that diversity and balance, which is very beneficial. What's worked best for you, Jamie, as far as the, the mix, uh, some of the specifics of what you've done on your farm? Yeah, so, I mean, I just keep telling people that, uh, you know, we've got to keep some ratios right in those mixes as far as carbon, nitrogen, you know, some other things. But a diverse mix helps because there's always going to be a species or two that just doesn't do well this year or next year, or, and it's always going to change because of mother nature and, and the weather patterns. And so a diverse mix uh, ensures us that we always have something there uh, for, for the ground or for the livestock. And, and so I tell people, I don't get really hung up on any one specific mix. It's, it's the more diversity, more rotation that we can get, uh, within the soil, uh, the better off we are. And, and that's the same as adding that livestock component back in. We get some of the manure and things on there uh, that, that help with diversity, help with some balance and, and nutritional stuff that we just, we can't hardly get any other way. Susanna, let's talk a little bit about poisonous plant considerations as well with livestock feeding out there. We have to be watchful for that as well, right? Yes. And there are some species that the research has shown that can have issues. All of the research has shown, though, that those are, are problems 
if they're eaten solely. So by adding these diverse mixes, we're negating or diluting some of those potential poisonous plant issues. There are some that have uh, photosensitivity or sunburn reactions with some animals. Some might give them, uh, in, in small doses, some might give them a tummy ache, and so they're not going to eat as many of those. So that's the advantage, too, of having lots of selection, lots of other things to eat. They're going to dilute any of those potential problems. And when the, the research has not shown that having good mixes and diverse opportunities out there, that animals have any kind of negative reactions. And Susanna, just talk about some of your best practices on how to manage grazing to help ensure the most benefits to both the soil and also the animals. That goes back to being able to, we would really want to be able to rotate um, through these um, these pastures, through these crop fields that we've planted these covers on. Having a, a permanent fence surrounding the field and then being able to subdivide it with a temporary electric fence would really be the optimum way to maximize the efficiency and maximize the use of those of those forages. We would be able to um, to graze a smaller area and then bring the animals off of that area. In the summertime, in the early fall, we might still have the weather conditions and still maybe some fall rains where we could get some regrowth off of those covers. So by removing the animals from a specific, from a smaller unit of the larger crop field or a paddock that we would call it, um, we would give those those forages an opportunity to regrow, and we would be able to extend extend the grazing of those cropland acres. The benefits too to our perennial pastures is by removing animals from our 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 permanent pastures, we allow those permanent pastures to rest, and they would be able to recover and regrow, so we could extend our grazing further into into the fall. Again, you're listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, or CCSI, and I'm joined by Jamie Scott, a Kosciuszko County farmer, and Susanna Hines, who is a grazing specialist with the Natural Resources Conservation Service. And Jamie, we touched on it earlier, the big... The big thing right now, especially with depressed prices and corn and beans and uh, increasing cost of operations, the profitability of using cover crops. What have you found as far as as your return on investment after starting using cover crops? Yeah, I you know when we took look at cover crops and return on investment, the one thing that I think a lot of guys do wrong is we look at the price of something first. And so when you look at these diverse uh, cover crop mixes they're going to be a little more expensive than, than what we've been doing after maybe corner beans. But we have to look at, you know, do you have that option to, to have a forage? Uh, what's what's the yield potential after it? And so, you know, I would say on average we're seeing 20 to 40 bushel yield gain uh, after this diversity on our soil. Um, I've had some guys uh, as high as 100 bushel uh, increase over anything else on their farm. Um, so, that's pretty good return on investment for maybe spending another five, ten dollars per acre uh, for our cover crop mixes. Uh, but we seem to really get hung up with what does it cost more so than what are we going to get out of it. Um, and and I can say this: anyone that I've seen use uh, diverse mixes after wheat um, grazing or not, 
um, really won't, won't go away from them. Uh, they, they see the change in the soil right away, and it's because of that balance and diversity. And, and that's the same thing that we see in the livestock, you know, like we talked about there of, you know, they don't seem to get too much of any one thing because there's a, there's a big smorgasbord out there for them to eat on. And uh, that balance and diversity is great. Um, but, but looking at return on investment has to be the big picture, not just what something costs. Uh, it, it's what the yield or, or, or gain or something would be in there also. There's also the profitability of being able to rest those perennial pastures. Any day that we spend grazing our livestock is money that's saved by the farmer. If we can reduce the amount of hay that needs to be made or if it needs to be fed through the winter, that's money back in the farmer's pocket as well. And I've, I've never seen or talked to anyone that grazes that doesn't say, man, I wish I had just something more in August, September, you know, that time frame that we can produce something for that, you know, I have guys drive by that, that are livestock producers and say, boy, you're just killing me. You got all that forage out there in the field. Can I bring my livestock to graze on it? And, and so those months of the year, like you said, really help extend their feed source the rest of the year. And Jamie, what are some tips you have for someone looking to get into this? They've never done cover crops before. What are some, some easy tips, some ways to transition into this? I, I tell everyone, you know, no matter what you're changing, always try to find someone that's done it successfully. Uh, ask as many questions as you can. You know, from those, we have a lot of resources now in Indiana here, uh, you know, with all of NRCS folks and farmers that are doing it and, and a whole conservation partnership staff that uh, can help them out. But, you know, talk to those that have done it successfully and, and start there. Um, but honestly, I, I think the best place to start in cover crops is after wheat. Um, we can get a very diverse mix um, on their farm to help them, you know, with grazing, with soil health. Um, and, uh, you know, most of the time it's going to be most of the products are winter kills and, uh, that helps them in the springtime. Um, so I, I think it's a great fit. Another opportunity would be, or another option would be to start small, try out a small field that's close to the house or close to your perennial pastures or close to a feeding area close by that you can keep an eye on that isn't going to require you to haul animals across the county or do anything like that. Make it as easy as you can on yourself and start small and see if you if if you reap the benefits. And Susanna, Jamie mentioned the NRCS as a resource and all of the resources available. What's the best way to get in touch with uh, you or someone like you in your position to help with some of these things? Every county in Indiana has a, a, a representative, a USDA field office and a local district conservationist that would be your first point of contact. So if you don't already know that person in your county, by all means, reach out and and find that person. That's your initial contact. Then from there, if they don't have the expertise to be able to help with, with these kind of projects, then they'll reach out to me as the grazing land specialist and bring me in to, to provide some additional assistance. But the first point is find that local district conservationist and they'll be able to, to lead you in that right correct path. My thanks to Jamie Scott and Susanna Hines for joining us on today's podcast and for all they do to promote soil health throughout the state. 
Today's podcast presented by Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. You can visit them online at ccsin.org. This has been the Hat Soil Health Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's leading farm network.